You're listening to I vs. I with Dr. Broderick and Zookman. I vs. I podcast.com. Nothing on the show is medical advice or medical care. Content advisory. This episode does discuss self-harm and suicidality. If you're not in a good, stable place with your mental health, you might want to consider skipping this one and come back to it at another time. So, Dr. Broderick, turning points, recovery, grace. If you are able so this. I don't know. Maybe we got a little off topic here, but uh, it's an interesting conversation. We started with talking about giving yourself inner grace to do recovery work. In the second segment, I talked a little bit about my own story, what I needed to hear. And my hope that people can have, can feel um, a a right to recover outside of a culture of despair. Right. To keep moving, to keep it, keep it moving, you know, and I think the interesting part about our last segment segment was sort of acknowledging the limits to the system and the culture, you know, so and our mental health culture. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, just, just I'll talk a little bit my, about my own, my own journey. And I think for me, I didn't know how much I was suffering until I began to read about the suffering of someone who was similar to me. Um, that was that was Malcolm X. So in 2016, I read that book and I felt I felt as if my awareness had been widened to the fact that my awareness could widen because that's what happened to him. He was suffering and he had his horizons expanded and just reading about that and knowing that and seeing, like you were saying in the last segment, that it was possible to expand your horizons, to figure things out. So it's a weird thing in this book. I'm sort of starting by just, oh, I'll just see what this guy Malcolm X is about. And then all of a sudden I'm reading, I'm like, oh shit, this guy has problems and oh shit, I have problems. And I just kept reading and it sort of naturally led to just self-compassion, like self-validation, self-determination, and just this wider mindfulness, you know, knowing that there's stuff to be figured out. You can keep learning like every day of your life about systems and the way he talked about systems and the stakeholders in those systems. It helped me to realize that I was allowed to not rely too much on systems, especially ones that were designed to hurt me as a black man. And I didn't need the validation of invalidating systems to be whole. Um, and that was also, um, you know, I think just, just in terms of like the field of mental health and all that, like, cause I remember even before then I went to therapy but I was like flirting with it. And I remember I, I remember the office. I went into this woman's office. How old are you? Uh, I was, it was my first tour in Louisville. Uh, so I was maybe about 27, 28, maybe. So I step into this office and it's the, it's a white woman. And I start to talk about things that were upsetting me. I think I was talking about a woman at the time. And then I remember her saying, wow, that sounds hard. 
And then at that moment, I, you know, I just kind of danced around it and then never came back, Mm. you know, and I don't think I was aware of my own pain. Mm. And I think I was moving away from anything that reminded me of that pain. I, I would just avoid it, but I didn't know that I was avoiding until I was able to identify with someone else who was avoiding and then also like found a way out. Um, just psychologically. When I say a way out, I don't mean completely healed. I mean, stuck out of a holding pattern, a certain way of thinking mm-hmm. um, relating to toward the, toward the world. I, I started to see different rules. I thought the rules were solid. There's nothing you can do about the rules that you were exposed to, the society, the way you're relating, whatever. It wasn't possible. And then I saw that, wait, someone can follow the rules, be hurt by them, and then just pick new rules, mm. pick a new philosophy. And that was just so fucking powerful to me. And then my, when I was actually ready for therapy, um, my therapist, you know, said to me, I'm just picking up a little object here. He held up a little thing. This is pretty cool though. I really like this. Yeah. Explain it. Explain what you're, you're doing for people who are just listening Um, on the audio only stream. Ah, yes, sir. I'm holding up uh, just an object. Um, and I'm looking at it and, in one way. And my therapist says, you know, Broderick, sometimes it's not about changing the object in your hand. It's just about rotating it a little bit and seeing that it has another side to mm. it. And then as you turn it a little bit more, you start to see all of these different angles that you can analyze your situation and seeing that in Malcolm X. And then at this around the same time, uh, beginning to meditate mm. and beginning to slow down, I could start to see the moments in between the moments. And then that just gradually opened up more and more and more. So I started to feel like I was actually present for my life. So then I could see those angles. So it's almost like the slowing down and acknowledging what was right in front of me opened up all of these different angles and it just made me more curious. It made me more creative because then it wasn't just like, Oh yeah, like I have pain, I'm gonna move away from it. It was, oh yeah, there's pain here. Oh, this pain, this pain um is coming at the same time as when I'm with this person. Oh, what is this person doing that's causing this pain? Oh, maybe they're doing nothing, or maybe they're doing something. I'm just not sure. And then I'd become more present and more present. And then I would start to see these different layers to my situation. Mm-hmm. Just these different little pixels that then provided opportunities for creative action. Yeah. And I, I really want to say that again, creative, becoming present when you're suffering creates moments for creative action. Not everyone is ready to be super present with their suffering and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But as you become more in tune with yourself, when you can see the math problem as it is on the page then you can actually solve it. But if you never see it, you can't solve it. So for me, it was really seeing myself and getting that validation mm-hmm. um, that, hey, you can suffer and you can change um, just by thinking differently, choosing a philosophy rather than just going off of the one you've always used. Mm-hmm. Once you see that the philosophy you've been using hurts is hurting you and you're the one who's acting it out, then that means you're the one who can change that but you have to be really present for when you're enacting the philosophy that's hurting you 
versus when you're enacting the philosophy or a different philosophy that might break you out of that. And um, through meditation, it then became it became Buddhism for me. It became just this be present. Your thoughts are not reality. You know, your thoughts are loud. They can say whatever they want, but they're not the present moment. And once I started to make that distinction, I think Buddhist philosophy really helped me understand consciousness and what my mind was doing versus what reality was doing and all my emotions, all that stuff. It just taught me to stay and wait. You know, wait like a dog, you know, wait with the cookie on your nose. Hold on. Wait for the moment. Just allow, just wait. Stop biting at the next thing. Just sit and sit and sit. And then I started to realize that, you know, in this example of dog waiting patiently with the cookie on the nose, um, I started to see that the cookie that I wanted was already in my mouth. Mm. And the cookie on my nose, I could never actually get to it. Mm. It was almost... It was almost taped mm-hmm. or something, or, or I, I couldn't. And what was that? What I was just like. Uh, it was it was peace. Mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted peace, but I had to just stop completely to realize that peace was right here mm-hmm. with who I am, with with my being. And even if I was sad, even if I was angry, even if I was happy, even if I was whatever, there was a joy in just being what I was. I wasn't acting. I didn't feel like I had to put up some act with myself or with others. Um, I could just, there was this joy in releasing all that pressure. And I didn't really get that taste. You don't get that taste of that joy of being yourself until you actually let go of that chasing. Mm-hmm. But we're so socialized to chase, 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 you know, move away from negative experiences, chase the positive ones. And when we're always on that treadmill um, and we never stop, um, our legs get really tired. And then we get, we beat ourselves up when we have to reduce the setting or we move slower. Um, when really sometimes it's just okay to just sit and not be on a treadmill. Um, so yeah, man. So it's been those two things, you know, with my, reading Malcolm's narrative and and meditating, you know, reading some Buddhist philosophy, really trying to understand Mm -hmm. that philosophy for me um, and how I create, I, you know, we're all humans Mm -hmm. who suffer and just accepting that here I am being human. Nothing I can do about it, but I can work with it. And then I found a lot of hope in that knowing that, Oh shit, I can cry my eyes out and feel all this pain but then all of a sudden feel my own beauty in being this, this entity, this being who can find great peace in allowing and being human. And that everyone has this inside of them and anyone who says they don't isn't human. Uh, so just knowing that core, knowing that truth for myself in myself, it became undeniable that my reality was valid. And I think in those first moments, it was, 
I can feel sad and and be allowed and be okay to be sad. And then if I just allow that, then it'll just suddenly change. And then I'll be happy and then I'll be sad again. Why am I pushing away or grabbing onto experiences when I can just shift through these moments where I'm human? And there's a lot of beauty in allowing that process and a lot of connectedness because everyone has the same thing and is struggling in, in effect with this, this similar thing. We just call it one thing or another. So it's, um, yeah, man, though, and I've just been deepening my relationship with myself over these, these four years with, um, really those, those two tools, which are, which really it's, it's philosophy. I chose a philosophy of living for myself consciously. I made conscious decisions to choose a philosophy, um, philosophies that would help me and not hurt me. Mm -hmm. And that's it. A lot of people never choose their philosophy. They never choose because they don't, they're afraid to let go of what they know. Maybe what you know is, is the problem. Maybe you need to unknow. Yeah. I think that's the default is not great in the society. The default programming is like, is a, the default programming in, American society is like a virus infected installation of Windows 95. Dude, it's <laughs> yeah. all about avoid it's all about avoidance, man. It's all it causes you to like numb out and for me like man, I was so numb to my depression. Mm. So numb. Oh, yeah, so so many substances for mm. me. Mm-hmm. So much like so much pot, man. Oh my God. I'm kind of, th- I mean, well, I mean, in hindsight, he's saying, I'm kind of thankful it was, it was pot over alcohol. Yeah. At the very least, like I wasn't, I didn't have like all this impulsivity that came with it. And, you know, and um, leaning into more depressive emotions. I mean, I could have, I could have leaned more into, um, you know, suicidal ideation or, or things like that. It's, um, so, so yeah, yeah, just the numbness and you don't realize how much you hurt people, how much you hurt yourself mm-hmm. when you're just numb for it all. Yeah. So then tuning into myself also meant tuning into not just my pain, but the pain that I cause others, you know, through my unawareness um, and, and desire to numb myself out to avoid my own pain. I was causing pain in others yeah, and course. just like not giving you, not wanting to face that, you know, it's um, so then in that way self-compassion was understanding that I didn't know any better, mm-hmm. but now I can try to know there's another way. And that was sort of, for me, the, um, it's the, the window that was open, which was really through, really through Malcolm. Um, that's a very, a lot of people see that book as, is very, you know, um, the autobiography, very, yeah. The autobiography of Malcolm X, really radical, really, you know, Blah, blah, blah. But at the core to me, it was a book of vulnerability, a book of extreme vulnerability. Then you see that tenderness, you see that vulnerability, but then you see the power on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And that power, it taught me that I can, my vulnerability is what, what can cause me to be stronger 
I think that was a very important thing for me, especially as a man to to hear because mm-hmm. I was certainly not not modeled that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I've had, I I've done 12 step as well for like adult children and alcoholics as a as a 12 step program and it's interesting how well that works. Um and I've got friends who cuz the mechanism is similar. Like we talk about recovery, mental health, we talk about recovery uh from substance abuse. A lot of that same pain is the same. And knowing, I have a, a friend who has been in um, NA for 25 years. Like the stuff she describes is so so much more similar than it is different. Um, and it is it, like I, I've I've had that thought before that I was like, oh, you know, if I had heroin, I don't think I would have attempted mm. uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to take my own life. Um, yeah, that's yeah, interesting that, uh, that those overlaps, uh, exist and that, 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 that you're kind of acutely aware mm. of that as well. It's like, oh yeah, you were, you were awake from it, from it. And it is like, I see people who oh, yeah, you have to like mm-hmm. go through that detox and then you kind of have to go through your own mental health rehab kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. You gotta come, come into reality, right? you know, even just enough to see it, you know? Um, it, you, you, that, that, that took you, uh, you went really fast for me. Like I came to similar conclusions and a lot of them are still kind of unraveling for me, but it took me to get to that point where I realized I could go through depression by being completely present with the pain or the sadness. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't get that until mm-hmm. like last, uh, April, March, last yeah. March of 2019. Um, where I had started, I was in EMD, I'd done EMDR and, uh, I was in the situation where there was construction outside of my window and I sleep odd hours and I was still recovering from chronic illness. So if I had a bad night's sleep, I'd be very sick the next day. And, uh, these construction guys were going to wake me up at seven in the morning. So I had to, I had to move in 36 hours notice and I, and I was just so tired and messed up and I found, you know, I had a, I had a place to stay that was quiet in the woods, but like, I was just so upset from the experience of having to move so quickly that I was acutely mm. suicidal. Um, this is the last time I was, and I was looking for a way to hurt myself and I was in the shower and I was just like, Oh, just something clicked. And I was like, maybe I can go into this feeling like I do an EMDR therapy. Hmm. and i did i cried for about five seconds and i stepped out of the shower and i was like i'm not depressed and that was the last time i was suicidal and now i do that all the time where i'm just like and i do it in meditation that's also where like i i combine hmm. i combine the trauma therapy with my meditation practice where i would hold pain in meditation um and and it's and 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 feel that completely and be able to move through it. And it's interesting because it's not what I would expect. Like that it, once for me, the acute pain, yeah. the idea of what you, of what I thought it was, was like a sharp stick in your soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And like you're trying to avoid that sharp stick in your soul. For me, I don't feel that when I'm acute with it. I feel this horrible malaise, just this like emotion of raw sewage, just like a bleh. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm constantly mm-hmm. running away from. 
and I'm every day. I every day in this 2020 in this moment, every day I go back to that feeling. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's five seconds, and sometimes it's ten seconds, and sometimes it's three minutes, and sometimes it's five right, minutes. Right, dude. You're just flowing through <sighs> it. It seems like not letting, just not yeah, letting your idea about it. You know, it doesn't get stuck. Yeah, your emotions don't get my emotions don't get stuck. Yeah. anymore in that way. Dude, it's like you. So you're saying like avoiding it was actually making it much more painful than it than it had to be in Avoid, a way. Is yeah, that yeah. Kind of avoiding of the the avoiding mechanism that manifests itself as mental illness of what mm-hmm. people would say, Interesting. like our symptoms of mental illness. The symptom, a lot of my symptoms, was the avoidance. Just like for, you know, like 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 somebody, like so, somebody mm-hmm. who has an alcohol dependence, they might drink when mm-hmm. acutely stressed, and they don't want to feel that. For me, I would yeah. hurt myself, bang my head in or something. Um, yeah. And again, yeah, I'm probably too late for a disclaimer here. I'll put it in the show notes. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know how to handle this trigger warnings. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that off air. But uh, I would mm-hmm. hurt myself. And, um, and, and, and that was my way of like coping or freaking out to like create chaos to get, uh, attention Mm. that I needed that would never come, um, Mm. instead of just being with this feeling that was not nearly as bad. Yeah, man. Five, like five to 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. And it's the, and it's the idea of it. And, um, so if I look over into the corner of my apartment and I see a coiled up black thing, if I tell myself that's a snake, I'll never go in that corner. So until I start to approach it and see that it's just a necktie, then I'm always going to think that. But if I really think it's a snake, we can see why I'm avoiding it. You know exactly why. Um, but I think it's it's interesting your 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 words on the avoidance piece, right? Because I do truly believe that about 90% of people who go into therapy say, I'm feeling something uncomfortable, or I'm unaware of unaware that I'm feeling something uncomfortable. And I'm and I am doing something to get rid of that feeling or not doing something to to get rid of that feeling. Um and so really, it kind of sounds like just it comes down to the simple fact that the symptoms are not the cause. Or the symptoms aren't even many, the thing. Aren't even the thing to be yeah. focused on. The thing is to be focused on is the feeling that maybe comes right before mm-hmm. the thing that you're about to do and just feeling that consciously. And it's it's funny, as you talk about like holding emotions, you know, um, I cry in meditation mm. almost every day. Wow. Well, probably every day, like deep, 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 deep. And then on the other side of that, then there's joy and lightness and bliss. And sometimes there's rage. There's just all these natural emotions because I'm human. I'm an animal. And when I've taken that sort of vision towards myself, I don't. I don't shame myself for those natural reactions. And I think that's what people are at odds with. That's what Freud talked about. He's like, you have like these impulses as a human, and then you have these societal expectations 
that so you so a lot of folks will say, oh, well, I'm not allowed to feel sad if I'm like a man, for example. Um, then if my body is like, well, we need to cry and my mind is like, no, motherfucker, like get over it. You know, then I'm like, oh, crap, I don't have to get over it. And then I like try to shove it down, shove it down, shove it down. Oh, and then here's like a hit a pot. Oh, here's like I'll get a jack on the rocks or whatever, you know, in my apartment, like alone. Um, it, it's it's really just it's 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 I versus I, man. I have I have an idea that I'm carrying out that I'm choosing to buy into that's at odds with another part of myself that needs to be heard and seen and held and loved. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's that simple. And as I really started to feel self-compassion, like true, like love for myself, that's happened in the past year. It's so overwhelming and emotional to feel love for yourself and to give a shit. Like just think about like a romantic relationship or something or a family member. When you really love someone, it's very vulnerable because you care so much about them. It's so high stakes for loved ones um, to open up and say, I love you is to say that I need you. Mm. I need you. I need to take care of you. I need you to do well. I'm going to be sad for you. I'm going to be happy for you. I'm going to be with you, you know, throughout all these things. I'm going to be here and present for it. To be that way with yourself, it's a very overwhelming thing. You're going to feel sad with yourself. You're going to, like you would feel with a partner who you love and is sad, you know, or or a kid. If you have a kid in your life who's, they're upset you feel sad like that's like love to feel self-love in that way it's um i see why i see how it's so difficult and i didn't recognize that until i actually start went through sort of the honeymoon phase with myself <laughs> you know then when the hard work starts then it's oh oh i love myself i can let it go da, da, da. and then i'm great for a few months and then well wait 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 what about this? Do you love this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't like, oh, you don't, you don't like it when you get, um, you know, some, some, uh, some narcissistic thoughts, you know, you don't like that. Oh, can you love yourself anyway? And that, and I would try to suppress, you know, or I would say, oh, you don't like that. Sometimes you move into your old patterns, you know, and you might not even be able to help yourself. Can you love that? The fact that you're not perfect, the fact that you're not all the way healed. Can you even love the fact that you can't love yourself perfectly? And um, as you just keep embracing everything, it's like a black hole. It's like a black hole of self-compassion. Everything is welcome. Everything is being pulled into this space. And the less I discriminated against what I was allowed to love about myself versus not, the quicker that process allowed me not to give myself grace, to, but to just be grace itself. And um, I think as a mental health professional, like I was very motivated to heal because I knew that I was hurting people when I didn't and hurting myself when I'm just unaware. Um, but I think when we're armed with 
with that grace, with that, with that unconditional hope that I will feel pleasure and not feel pain, which to me, that's the definition of love. Um, once, once I started to get into that space and I was armed with that, I was able to look at anything, anything, including like things in myself, things in others, because I knew, you know, I knew how powerful that, that is to just see something and then be loved anyway. I think we got to learn that through ourselves. We got to learn that through, through others who love us, who give us that, that grace. But I think it's very, very hard when we're not used to it. It can be very frightening to see your own beauty if it's that, because it's that dissonant from the model that you've built up in your head about who you are or who you think you are, rather. It's so radical. It's such a radical shift. We're so mm-hmm. not programmed. We're programmed to know to think that that suppression is winning. Mm-hmm. Winning. I win. win. I didn't have to feel that. I won. Especially as guys in our emotional life. Like, oh, someone tried to pick a fight with me. Someone tried to threaten me with violence. And I didn't give this mm-hmm. shit. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care. I won. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost my job. I didn't react. I lost my job. And I don't know how I'm going to feed my family next week. But I didn't react. I'm winning. I'm a man. I'm winning. It's an entirely mm. different program than what we were raised with mm-hmm. as kids. You know? Yeah, man. Especially on the and fucking East Coast where it's like not even not, uh-huh. it's not even not feeling. It's projecting yeah. this toughness, this hardness, this survivalness, which like, you know, it's it's an immigrant culture outside of New York City. You know? Mm. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everybody's not everybody, but there's a you know it, the culture is of people who are like second, third, fourth generation immigrants. There's that survival toughness, especially as being mm. male providers, that yeah. we don't feel emotions, and if we don't, we're winning and we're tough and we're doing it right and we're surviving in this motherfucking city. I don't. It's an entirely radical thing. Yeah, the, it's interesting, man. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just—I was gonna acknowledge just yeah. your beautiful statement of and how just—I don't know—it's it's a beautiful words. So we got to cut that into a five-second clip and put Ta- that on Taj. Taj yeah, it up. Taj it up. As a beautiful clip. As mm-hmm. a beautiful clip. A beautiful uh, and well, uh, well thought and well said clip. Um, yeah, appreciate you, man. It's um, and. And as I, when we see men being providers, I think another part of that task is to not lose your cool because if everyone sees the man lose his cool, then it's like, oh crap, if like he's losing his cool, then like that means things are like really bad, Mm -hmm. which is also this weird thing. I'll sort of dive into this randomly. Which is also this weird thing, like men are the only ones who are allowed to be strong for others mm-hmm. and women aren't allowed to be that. Right. Um, you know, um, so I think that puts a lot of undue pressure. But even for men out there who are listening, who are like, damn, I have no 
I am in this situation where I'm the one who maintains the hope. Yeah. Um, you got to find space for you to be able to fall apart. Find and make that time. Don't find it. Make it. You know, make it. You'll be able to keep your cool more if you cry out what you got to cry out. Got to let that go. You got to feel that. You got to let your emotions move through you. Um, and, you know, think about it like a digestion, a digestion system. If you're all backed up, it's just going to lead to more and more avoidance. It leads to things like substance use. It leads to things. Totally. Um, like self-harm and, and all that stuff. Uh, but I think without tools, because we both describe tools, we describe some EMDR, we describe some DBT, um, some meditation, some just self-exploration. Um, yeah, we can do it. To be able to tolerate those emotions. We can do an episode. We, we can do, maybe we should just do an episode on all the, the weird, the yeah. weird stuff that we do. Um, but the, uh, the thing I want to say, just what we're not saying is that you don't, we, we, we're not, we're not saying that there are times you don't have to be tough. There are, and there will be, but like you said, you have to make space to be able to fall apart. Sometimes, um, you have to make space to feel despair sometimes and feel what it is to be human. And that doesn't mean that you have to like fall apart when somebody threatens you or fall apart when, when you're in danger, or it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't be masculine when that role is helpful for your own safety or for protection or for uh, just being strong when it requires, you know, life requires you for being strong. But what we are saying is that being that all the time is a path of, towards self-destruction. We'll catch up to you. And it's um, a lot of folks think in all or nothing terms, right? So if I fall apart a little bit, I'll fall apart all the way. You know, so then they never fall apart, not knowing that, oh, wait a minute, all my body needed was just like 10 minutes of weeping. Like in the shower, no one know, like my partner didn't know, like my kids didn't know, but I feel a little lighter. I feel a little, you know, but uh, hey, get get the tools, get the tools, get the help. Um, ask around, do some, how to do some research, Google, how how do I feel my emotions safely? Or you could just you DM know. Dr. Broderick at Broderick A88 on Twitter. You totally could. <laughs> don't do that. No, you can't. I mean, I don't know. You yeah. could. I'd never I'd never give you I'd never give you actual advice, but I would send you resources. Uh, that's one thing we need to do, Dr. Broderick, is that resource list. We never we never made that. Dude, we are just like procrastinating so hard on that, aren't we? We need to do that for NAMI. We need it too. The people need we it. We got a NAMI. We got a yeah. NAMI. I don't know if that's open to the public. I think it is. That that NAMI conference. Yeah, they need a resource list. We need a resource list for all the things. Maybe we should just sit down and just do that. As 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 all of the toxic capitalist bosses I ever had. Let's bang it out. Which means let's bang him out. That, that oh means which means work twice as hard for the same amount of money and get really stressed out for no real reason. But uh, there we go. But, you know, this one will be for a real reason. Ex- That's good. Yes, ex- yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Broderick. Any uh, final words for the people? Uh, for the people, man. Um, if if something's not working for you, try more things. More things are available. Yeah, more things are available. Think outside the box. 
um, you'll find that thing that's like, oh, you'll find it. And it doesn't take it doesn't take much. All you need is one. All you need is one. All, all you need is one. That uh, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you, Dr. Broderick. Uh, thank you, thank listeners. You, um, until next week or whenever the hell we upload another episode. Yes, sir. Off. Peace out, y'all. <laughs>